Well, we are ready for our Sunday school lesson this week, and I'm so glad that you have chosen to join us. I pray that the Lord is blessing you and keeping you healthy, and I pray that he's feeding you spiritually, and hopefully it won't be uh, terribly much longer. We'll be able to gather back in our classes again. Uh, we are working on that, by the way, and we'll have a date very shortly where we will be reopening things like that. But uh, our lesson today is a good question. Why isn't God blessing his people? And as we go to Haggai chapter 2, and we'll begin reading at verse 10, where the people, after 16 years, have finally started working on the temple. And uh, from reading this and some of the things we've been over, life has been busy. Uh, they have worked hard. And yet it's been kind of bleak. You remember he said that uh, you gather your wages and you put it in a bag that's full of holes. Boy, who hadn't felt like that? There have been some of those times where you maybe um, get ready to buy something. And you, uh, if you're a guy, you open up your, your wallet and you look inside and you go, what happened to that $20 bill? Why do I just have a couple of ones in here and you can't figure out what happened to it? Uh, it's kind of the idea of, you know, as a joke, people have said there's too much month left at the end of the money. And sometimes that's just because of bad planning, bad stewardship, you know, mismanagement, that type of thing. But um, God is talking to the people here to get their attention to say, when this is happening and it's not correctable, when it is happening and um, it's over and over and over, Maybe you need to stop and, well, think about the phrase we've seen in this book, consider your ways. And I think that there are certain things that God builds into life to cause us every once in a while to stop and to take stock of who we are, what we're doing, maybe where we've been, to uh, correct some things or maybe add some things. It's, it's just a good part of life. Well, in this particular passage, they are working on the temple. And while they are working on it and recognizing the fact that it's, it's not going to be anything like Solomon's temple was. It's not going to be like what the old people remember. And yet, God kind of uh, reminds them it's not what he requires. There's a really old song. I don't remember all of it. I just remember one line. I remember some people singing it when I was a kid. And it says something like this. Some of you are going to know this. Uh, if just a cup of water I place within your hand, then just a cup of water is all that I demand. And it's an exhortation to faithfulness. And so God was not calling them to reproduce something in the past. Oh, may God deliver us in the church, as believers, from thinking that our calling is to reproduce an era or a time previous, that we are to try to reproduce the great, grand, and glorious days of a certain decade or a certain time period, because we can't do that. We just can't. We are in the time in which we live, and life is what it is, and God has given us what he has given us, and uh, sometimes it is so frustrating when we try to, um, shall we say, imitate somebody who actually has more talent, more intellect, more skill, 
than we do. And we think that we have to do things like they do. And the truth is, you can't. You can only do what you can do. Now, by that, of course, we grow and, of course, we learn and, of course, we improve and, of course, we ought to sharpen and hone our skills and, and, and we ought to be filled with the Spirit so that God is working through us. But understand, there are just certain things that you and I will never be able to do no matter how much we would like to be able to do them. There are some people that will practice and uh, they will work hard playing basketball, but they're never going to go to the NBA. And there are other people that are in the NBA that didn't work near as hard as this person who didn't make it. There are just some things that God limits us on. And he does not hold us to a comparison of other people that may have more talent or more ability than we do. And that's what we kind of learn from some of these passages in Haggai that uh, you can't get hung up on that. Just do what you're supposed to do. And that's kind of the theme of the book. These people had been back in the land. They had built the foundation of the temple and then neglected it. They'd kind of walked away from it. And we do that in our lives all of the time. How many commitments have you made to God? How many times in a church service or something like that, maybe in your quiet time, has God stirred your heart to do something and you just never got around to it? You just sort of said, well, one of these days I'm going to do that. But the passion of God's heart never became the passion of your heart. And the thing that God desired out of your life never became the thing that you desired. You were on two different pages. And one of the things that sanctification does, I think um, as Baptists we tend to think of sanctification as getting bad things out of my life. And that would certainly be true. But it's also putting certain things in your life. And I think one of the things that uh, sanctification would certainly include is whenever my mind and my thoughts start matching God's mind and God's thoughts. When my heart is lined up with his heart, when my desires are lined up with his desires, when my passions are lined up with his passions, then we've got something. Then that's when uh, everything is going to happen. Now we've got something moving along. But too many times, especially in our immaturity and in our stubbornness, we try so hard to say, God, this is what I want, and this is what you should want too. And we try to pull God over to where we are, and in fact, we try to change God. I know we would never admit that, but we try to change God because we want Him to line up with what we want. And remember, He is an unchangeable God. So if God and I are on two different pages, there's only one who can change, and that's me. There's only one who needs to change, and that would be me. And so as God begins to work on the people's hearts, here in the book of Haggai, in chapter 2, verse 10, uh, he is going to teach them some principles and kind of answer this question. They've been working hard. These people have not been lazy during those 16 years. It's just their energy has been misplaced. They have lost their focus. They've been working. 
They've been planting and harvesting and raising livestock. They've built their own houses. They've been trying hard to get things going and to get it moving. But they have neglected God by neglecting the, uh, the temple. So, with that said, Haggai 2. Verse 10, on the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius... The word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Now ask the priest concerning the law, saying, If one carries holy meat, something for the sacrifice, in the fold of his garment, and the edge uh, he touches, uh, bread or stew, wine or oil, or any food, will it become holy? Okay, what, what was he saying? Will the holy meat in the fold of the garment, if it touches something, something that is just common and normal stuff, does all of a sudden that bread or that stew, that chili, whatever, all of a sudden become something that would be worthy of sacrificing to God? Does, uh, if you had the uh, Passover lamb that you were carrying and it touched uh, a donkey, would all of a sudden the donkey become, you know, legitimate for the Passover sacrifice, right? Think about that, okay? Well, you know the answer to that, and so do the uh, priest. Let's go on. Then the priest answered and said, no. Very simple answer, isn't it? And Haggai said, well, if one who is unclean because of a dead body touches any of these... Will it be unclean? Okay, so here I am. I've been defiled by touching or handling a dead body. And so then I come up and I touch the uh, sacrifice, the sacrificial meat that you are going to offer. And I touch it. Does that meat make me all of a sudden ceremonially, ceremonially clean? Okay, well, you know the answer to that. So the priest answered and said, It shall be unclean. Okay, get what God is saying. If you've got something that is um, um, unclean, touching something that is clean, ready for the sacrifice, does not change who it is. But what can happen? That thing that was perfectly acceptable for the sacrifice when it comes into contact with something that has touched a dead body, what happens to it? It becomes unclean. Okay, we got that. Look at verse 14. Then Haggai answered and said, So is this people, the remnant, and so is this nation before me, says the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Well, Lord, if you were wanting to encourage me by uh, telling me that, that certainly didn't come across, right? That sounds kind of down. But the principle remains. I think we have the same problem. Maybe let's, let's talk about politics, right? Politics, uh, that can get pretty dirty, can't it? Does a political situation... All of a sudden, I mean, it's got all kinds of things. I mean, it looks like Romans chapter 1, 
Okay? All of the speeches and everybody that what they believe and the policies and the platform. I mean, all kinds of perversion and lies and uh, ungodliness and murder of innocent babies, all of those kind of things. But then someone says, let's have a prayer. So does saying that prayer just kind of poof? Now all of a sudden everything is acceptable to God? Absolutely not. And by the same token, if you have a political party that uh, they say, oh, we are for the rights of the unborn and we are for, you know, uh, God-sanctioned marriage and, you know, those kind of things. And yet, in their heart and the way that they act, they are manipulative, they are liars, they are ungodly, they are profane. Does that make them holy? No, what they do contaminates the whole thing. Now, that's the way God looks at the world. That's the way God looks at sinners. And so we see uh, these principles here that we need to uh, talk about and answer the question, what is going on? And we uh, need to understand this. Number one, ceremonial cleanness, okay, acceptable before God, uh, something that is qualified to be a sacrifice, Look at this. It is not contagious. This is not something that you get right with God. You get clean before the Lord or something that you're going to offer the Lord becomes clean just simply because you're hanging around the right people or saying the right words or something like that. So under Old Testament law, things did not become holy by touching clean things. And the clean and the unclean were clearly delineated in the law. Some things are just acceptable and clean and some things are not okay and they don't change they either are or they are not depending on what God says let's think of it like this um, something you may or may not know about me in my past I used to work at a pizza place some of you that are older remember Ken's Pizza don't you wish you had a Ken's Pizza right now and um, Ken Selby built a, uh, uh, one of his Ken's pizzas in Owasso. He had a lot of them in the Tulsa area and other places like that. But he built one in Owasso that was a little bit different. It was kind of his show place. And it was a different concept. We served breakfast and uh, things like that. We served hamburgers and fries as well as pizza and all of that. Uh, he would bring all of his clients and people in there. We saw him all the time. And uh, so I worked there one summer, and I can uh, remember we were in, in a rush. And, I mean, we had the place was full, and, I mean, uh, we would be at the workstation. Some people would be working the ovens. Uh, that's before conveyor belts. That's when you actually had to stick your hand in there, and you burned your forearms trying to get pizzas out of there fast. Some would work that. There would be a person that would be rolling out dough, another person that would put sauce on, another person that would put you know, um, cheese on, another person that would put the vegetables or the meat on all the way down until it went into the oven. That's the way we worked it. And uh, we were working one time and we were in a, a real rush and we finally got through and everybody kind of had a sigh of relief. It was hot. And we were uh, kind of sweaty and everybody was, um, you know, ready for a break. And there was one guy there, his name was Brad Cunningham, and he was sitting there and he goes, uh-oh, and the manager goes, what's uh-oh? And he goes, I had a Band-Aid on my finger when we started. 
Uh, it was about that time that an irate customer comes up with his pizza and there's a Band-Aid stuck down in the middle of it. Okay, so what is the manager supposed to do? Just pick the Band-Aid out, pitch it, and say, now everything's okay? Uh, everything was good. I mean, you could make the argument. The crust was good. The sauce was good. The cheese was good. All of the vegetables were good. The meat was good. I mean, it was just that little Band-Aid was the only problem in there. But in the customer's eyes... That one little band-aid made everything unclean. Unclean meaning unacceptable. And that's what God is saying here as he talks about this, that it doesn't take much to make something unclean and unacceptable uh, unto the Lord. So you can understand that, especially with that illustration. Now secondly, notice that ceremonial uncleanness can be transferred. Righteousness... Cleanness can't be, but uncleanness can be. That's amazing. So when the clean touches the unclean, what happens? Both are contaminated. And so the sin nature, interestingly enough, is transferred every time a baby is born. According to the scripture, the nature of Adam and his sin nature is transferred to that child. We're all born with that sin nature, we're all born apart from God, separated from God, unacceptable to God. Uh, we all have that nature. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. And so we just, it's perpetual and it tends to get Worse and worse and worse and worse. And parents instinctively understand the truth of this verse. You know how I know that? Because almost every time a kid gets in trouble, you know what I hear a mama say or a daddy say? Well, it's those other kids that they're hanging around. It's, they just fell into the wrong crowd. There was someone else who influenced them or pulled them away. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 33 says, Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. That's the principle. Things do not typically become clean because we hang around or we are around good people. It goes the other way. There's a downward pull. The downward gravity upon us is to head toward uncleanness. Bad company corrupts good morals. Natural pull toward all of that. Number three. The lesson that God is teaching them is that for 16 years, the remnant had sinned by not rebuilding the temple. Is that not clear by now? They were sinning because they didn't rebuild the temple. It wasn't that it was sinful to build their own houses. They should have done that. But they should have done that in addition to building the temple. And they should have built the temple first, recognizing God's sovereignty, God's authority, God's power, the worship of God, all of that should have been central in their life. And they're trying to kind of fit God into the leftovers of their life. And God said, I'm not putting up with that. And so what he is telling them is through this thing about being clean and unclean is that the people during all this 16 years, just because the temple wasn't built did not mean that they weren't singing it didn't mean that they weren't preaching. It didn't mean that they weren't having their Bible studies and Torah schools, those kind of things. It didn't mean that they weren't eating the, uh, the kosher diet. 
It didn't mean that they weren't circumcising their male babies. It didn't mean that they weren't doing all of those other normal things. But what it meant to God, and this is the important thing, what does God think? You know, we come to church sometimes and say, boy, I really enjoyed that service. Well, that's nothing wrong with that. But the bigger question is, did God? And did God, is he pleased with our heart? Is he pleased with the changes that we make? Is he pleased with our worship? And so these people were going through all of that, still bringing their offerings and all of the things they were supposed to do and everything that they could still do without a temple being present. And God says, here's the problem. The uncleanness, you neglecting me and rebuilding the temple, contaminates everything else that you did. And that's why, even though they were doing a lot of good things and a lot of right things, their heart wasn't right with God because, well, they weren't doing what Jesus said, seeking first the kingdom of God. It's not that they weren't seeking the kingdom of God, but first was the problem. And so during all of this time, all of the good works that they did did not produce the blessings that they would have expected. Their sin had caused their sacrifices, offerings, all of that to be contaminated and ineffectual. And their good works and their offerings and all of that could not transmit cleanness to the uncleanness that was in their heart. In other words, sin is contagious and Unrighte- um, pardon me, righteousness is not. Okay? Number four, there is an exception to that, and we've got to get this in here because this is so wonderful. What is the exception to this rule? Okay, remember the rule that you can't, you can take something clean and the cleanness is not transferred, but the uncleanness can be transferred. What's the exception to that? Jesus. Isn't it amazing that when Jesus is on earth, when he touched a leper, Jesus did not become unclean, but the leper became clean, didn't he? When Jesus would be around a sick person, Jesus didn't get sick, the sick person got healed. It was amazing the way that would happen. And in the gospel, the message of the gospel is this, a holy God is the only one that can transfer righteousness to sinners. He's the only one that can touch us and we become clean. He's the only one that is not contaminated by our sin or being around us. In fact, what happens is that he is the one that makes us clean. This is telling us here that whatever it is we think is going to improve our life, if it does not include God, if it is not based upon the gospel, if it is not wrought by the Holy Spirit of God, then it doesn't do that. And so you can live a life that uh, maybe has a lot of good things in it, but if you are not honoring God, loving God, and seeking first the kingdom of God, then all of the things that you do that you expect to bring blessing in your life actually become contaminated until Jesus touches that. It's through Jesus' death on the cross that uh, all of us who come to him are made righteous when we come into contact with him through faith. 
It's like that old song says, he touched me and made me whole. It's not me touching him, it's him touching me and his righteousness being applied to my life through faith. So Haggai is reminding the people that their previous lack of commitment has defiled the nation and prevented God's blessing. So let's uh, think about this. The righteous were accustomed to not being blessed. And I think there comes a point to where you think that just whatever you're living and whatever you're doing, that's just normal, that's just the way it is. And yet the scripture would tell us there's so much more to life under the blessing of God. If we would just get right with God and if we would just honor him. Because God desired to bless this little remnant and to bless him in ways that they could not fathom. And confronting them was not God's way of putting them down or discouraging them. It was God's way of saying, face your sin, look in the mirror, see what you really are, and do something about it. Change. Let me work in your life. Let me fill you. Prioritize me and watch and see what I will do. And that's a good word for us today. What is it that God desires to do in your life, in your family, in our church, in our nation? What if we really did prioritize God? What if we really did all of those things that we sing about in our, in our daily life? What if we really did confess sin? What if we really did forsake the sin that we confessed? What if we really did have God as the priority of our heart and our life and live every day to his glory, eating and drinking and doing all to the glory of God? You know, we have a God who is not reluctant to bless, but he desires to bless us. Okay, So look at your life. Is it filled with all kinds of good things? yet ignoring what God wants you to do? Let me just remind you, busyness is not the same thing as blessedness. And God wants to change us so that we can be blessed, doesn't he? Um, here's another thing. Look at the fruit of the flesh in Galatians chapter 5. I'll just read them to you. Galatians 5, 16 through 21. The heading in the ESV is keep in step with the Spirit. And here's how Paul explains that. But I say walk by the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit <coughs> are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. In other words, if I'm being led by the Spirit of God, I really don't need a rule that says thou shalt not kill, do I? I really don't need a thou shalt not covet. The Spirit's not going to lead me to do that. It's much better, in other words. Um, continuing on. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Okay, now you have these in your life. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Well, we would probably say, yeah, not so much. What about this one? Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits or outbursts of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these 
I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things unrepentantly, habitually, right, will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, no amount of church attendance, no amount of giving, no amount of feeding the poor, no amount of abstaining from alcohol, no amount of Bible reading, etc., etc., will ever make these things to be holy. You've got to repent, you've got to confess, and you've got to forsake these things. And you've got to walk and keep in step with the Spirit, which is always going to match up with the Word of God. Third question. Are the things you are going through designed to get your life in proper order? Why am I going through this? Why is God allowing this to happen? Why is it that everything that I go through seems to kind of cave in on me? Maybe uh, God's telling you something. Tempted to say God's trying to tell you something, but uh, my conviction is God never tries to tell. He just tells. It's just our inability to hear and understand. It's not on God's part right maybe those things are designed to get your life in order are you responding or are you resisting and some people they say uh, after a time they say well I knew God was wanting me to do this well then why didn't you do it and they tried everything they could to find a way to make their disobedience acceptable to God number four do you understand how much God loves you is with you and how he desires to bless you. And I think that last one is important because if we really understood what God desired to do in us, for us, and through us, I think the things of this world would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace, don't you? I think that sin would lose its appeal. But somehow... Like Eve in front of the tree, instead of seeing the beauty and the power and the blessedness of God, the devil was able to point out, here's something that you don't quite have. It turned out to be a curse, didn't it? And so many times we are chasing after the cursed things instead of going after the blessed things. And by the way, the blessed things only come from the blessed one. And that is the Lord. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. That's where we need to be. And if we could understand how much God loves us, is with us, and how he desires to bless us, what a difference that would be. So maybe, maybe the message of this part of Haggai is you need to get to know your God. And you need to get to know his heart. And you, get, you need to get to know why it is that he wants you not to touch the unclean things and how he wants to cleanse your life and make you that living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God by grace, through faith, and through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, our, our prayer is, would you please be patient with us? And would you please cause us to have the eyes of the Spirit to see, to see how our lives so easily get out of order and how we get so busy doing even good things, even things that some might call godly, and yet we miss the point because we're not right with you, not focused on you and doing 
what you've called us to do. I don't know what that is for everyone, but I do pray that as individuals, as families, and as a church, may we keep in step with the Spirit and fulfill your will for our lives in the order that you want it to be done, honoring you, glorifying you, and seeking first your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Bless your people. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. I appreciate you watching this more than you'll ever know. May the Lord bless you during this next week.